0: All right. So I, my kids helped me set up this beautiful communion table this morning. And um, just a reminder, at Nava, we like kind of setting up around Jesus in the center because he is the center of who we are in our church. But here's the thing, is I had this really heavy thing of grape juice, which, by the way, has anyone tried to buy grape juice in the last couple of months? No because it's not found anywhere right now I don't know like it's hard to find and it's very expensive I was like it would have been cheaper for me to buy wine <laughs> guys um but I didn't I bought grape juice um but it was really heavy and I left it in my car last night and it was freezing cold and so Sayla and I were pouring it this morning and I have a. Condition that we don't know what it is, but it's something to do with my nerves. And anyway, the heavy, cold thing pouring it this morning, my hand is like shaking and tremoring still from pouring communion. So, this is weird. So, if I'm shaking, I'm not necessarily nervous, although I probably am too. I could like literally can't even hold this microphone. That's so weird. Anyway, this is the message of this morning, though, is that we are living in the weird in between. Of a first coming and waiting for a second. When we actually get the fullness of Jesus right now in this present moment, and yet my arm and my nerves still don't work right, but one day they will, right? Okay, so we're in the gospel. And we are doing this thing called following Jesus. If you're new today and you're like, what are these people on and why are they saying all these written prayers? This is an old way that the church has prayed for hundreds of years that we recite prayers because it helps us learn the truth and the elements of the gospel and the word of God. So that's why we do it. We're not trying to like chant different weird things. It's all straight from scripture, I assure you. We can show you exactly where it is in the Bible. We're not making anything up. We're just trying to learn in a culture when there's so many things that change all the time that there's something consistent we can keep coming back to and build our lives on. All right, and so it's good for us to memorize, to learn, the word and so this is a way that we do that and so we have been learning the gospel and we do it on our hand because it's super easy and it's good to use our bodies because it helps us remember right so we have learned the gospel we have learned that God always loved us and gave us his son Jesus he lived the life we couldn't live he died the death we should have died for sin and last week we learned God raised and seated him as Lord. Hallelujah. Yes, we don't have someone we don't have a God who just lived and then died. We have a God who was raised again. Resurrected Jesus is alive right now in a resurrected body, and he is sitting on a throne, and he is ruling and reigning over the cosmos, right? This is the what we believe. Guys, this is the gospel. And then today we are hitting the pinky, which, guys, I don't know. I can't do the fingers and hold them all up at the same time. I don't know. Does anyone else have a hard time with that? I, bro- I played field hockey when I was growing up, and I broke these fingers, and so they were tied together, and so now they don't work independently of each other. So I've always got to like, ugh, ugh, Okay. Anyway, we're on this one. If I hold the rest of them down, I can do it. He is coming again to restore all things this is the part of the gospel that we haven't actually fully experienced yet. Right. The others have happened, this one hasn't. Wow. So it is a future part that we believe. Yes. It's not something we've experienced yet. He hasn't come back again and restored everything, right? I don't know, Do, are you still? Are you living in a fully restored body? Anybody in here, no. resurrected body? I'd like to meet you if you have, so come up afterwards. Um, okay, he has restored, He is coming again to restore all things. As we've looked last week, we looked specifically around this, that he is raised and seated as Lord. And isn't that, wasn't that super fun to look at? Isn't that amazing? And then this week, if you're in the Bible reading with us, which I encourage you to do that, even if you've missed the first five weeks of the year, jump right in. I believe we have sheets at the back. If not, we'll make sure we have some. Bible reading she's we are all reading through the New Testament Psalms and Proverbs together as a church. And this week, we started Acts. And wasn't Acts the most amazing book to read? I get so excited when I read it because I'm like, oh my gosh, these are people just like us that are living by the Holy Spirit with the resurrection power of Jesus and seeing God's kingdom break out all around them. Like, we read these stories. They literally... Heal, like healing is flowing from their hands. I mean, some of these disciples, crazy guys, they touch stuff, and then other people touch that stuff, and they got healed. I mean, come on, who doesn't want that? I mean, really, I have a lot of sick people around me right now. My mom is really sick. I, I like, I want this Holy Spirit, right? I want to see this kingdom come. They were stuck in prison. And the angels came and, like, opened the door. Hey, come on out. Let's go. And they're like, no, we're not going to leave because if we leave, then the jailer gets killed. So let's just, like, go save the jailer. And then we'll all leave together. Right? I mean, I mean, if I'm in jail, I'm not thinking about the jailer. I'm thinking about the door is open. I'm getting out. Right? But the, they were living in a new kingdom. A new reality. Yes. They were living with Jesus's life flowing out of them and breaking into everything around them. They were seeing food multiplied. They were seeing people set free from demonic oppression. They were seeing people healed. They were seeing people raised from the dead, right? They're living this most exciting life full of the presence of Jesus. And yet in the middle of that, Peter tells us, In Acts 3, 18 to 24, he says, But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, has been fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. This word, refreshing, can also be translated as renewal. Renewal. We start seeing this. This has already happened. He says, What all the prophets spoke all this time has already happened. Here it is Jesus. He suffered, he died, he was raised again so that refreshing could come or renewal could come to the world. Yes. The kingdom through Jesus' first coming has brought renewal. Yes. We can live in the new creation, renewal space of Jesus. So they live in this renewal, but then he says, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So we see here, the two things that were prophesied. One, we know from the story, is that God created a garden that was beautiful and amazing and incredible. The most beautiful thing about that garden is that man or woman I would say mankind, (laughs) could fellowship with God unhindered. Heaven and earth was one in the garden. Sin and destruction through disobedience comes in to that garden and brings death. And now humankind is separated from God. And the prophets come one after the other and they say, I know you can't do it, but the dream of God is still alive. The dream of God is still alive. And that dream is coming through the Son of God who lived the life we couldn't live died the death we couldn't uh, couldn't die or should have died, and then he was raised again. And so Jesus is the fulfillment of the longing of God to be with us again for that kingdom of heaven that was one with the earth in the garden to come back again, right? And the crazy thing about it is it collides into the kingdom of this earth with Jesus, right? It comes in, and now we have two kingdoms with, after the first coming of Jesus. We have this kingdom of darkness that's still here. Sin is still here. Death is still here. Destruction is still here. Decay is still here, but there is another kingdom now that is colliding and crashing into that the whole time. That kingdom is inside of us, and everywhere we go, that kingdom comes with us, And breaks in to this darkness and brokenness around us through the Holy Spirit. So we have these kingdoms at war. But now there's renewal coming through that new kingdom, right? But then this promises us that there is another thing coming. Another beautiful thing at its appointed time, Jesus is coming again. And this time, the kingdom is coming to stay And then there will only be one kingdom, and that will be the kingdom of our Lord. And he will come and restore everything, full restoration of everything that is broken, every single thing that is broken. I've been so fascinated by the early church, because when I read Acts, we kind of read over some of the sentences really quickly and we remember the really awesome stuff. But they were under a lot of pressure. They lived in a time that most of us wouldn't survive in. Right? We have a pretty pretty good life here in America. <laughs> they lived in a time when there was an empire that said it was cool if you wanted to worship anyone else, but you had to worship the Caesar, the man at the top. And if you couldn't say Caesar is Lord, then you were done for, like you were killed. And not nice deaths, like gruesome, horrible, torturous deaths. And so this early church, when they're proclaiming Jesus is Lord, They are actually bringing Jesus' kingdom up against the power of the kingdom of darkness, the empire that they were living in. They were living behind closed doors most of the time. They were a persecuted church. They were pushed out of cities. They were stoned. They were beaten. They were told that if you will renounce Jesus, you can live, but if you don't, you can't. Many of them, by saying Jesus is Lord, were pushed out of their families. They lost their family, which was a huge part of their structure in that day, was the family culture, the family structure. So they were alone. They gave up a lot to follow Jesus. And many of them had met Jesus, had, had become followers of Jesus through the testimony of those who had actually been with Jesus. Isn't this amazing? Like... The disciples were still alive at this time. They were telling the stories of Jesus as firsthand accounts. Wouldn't you have loved to be part of that church? I do until I start reading the stories and then I'm like, ooh, I don't know if I would have wanted to live like that, right? But they're hearing the stories. they testifying to the goodness. They have people with them that says, I was with Jesus when he said this. Like, I'm telling you what Jesus said. This is like such a beautiful time to be living in. And it's such a hard time. The pressure that they were living in was so intense. Jesus, but Jesus had told them that they would live under pressure. Jesus told them. He said, in this world, you will have troubles. That word trouble is actually can be translated as tribulation or suffering. It's the word thalipsis, which means pressure. You will be under pressure if you follow me. Because it only makes sense that when these two kingdoms collide, there is fireworks that happens. There is pressure that happens for that. And the kingdom of this world does not want to go quietly into the night. Is that true? The enemy is on the prowl, and he's saying, I want to destroy this little church. I want to take them on. And yet the Holy Spirit is with them, strengthening them, saying, persevere, persevere under the pressure, stay steady, stay faithful to Jesus, and they're seeing the beauty of all the miracles around them, and yet they are having to stay patiently, enduring through the pressure that is on them. Jesus didn't just tell them, you will have trouble, or there will be tribulation. He said, it's gonna get worse. The longer I'm gone, before I come back, it is gonna get worse. And Jesus uses this analogy of birthing pains. Now, I see some moms in here who can testify that there's a lot of pressure when you're giving birth, (laughs) right? Pressure. Pressure contractions and something is being birthed something is alive a hundred percent this is a beautiful depiction of the kingdom of God that's here now already something is already alive something is there we haven't seen it fully we don't know the fullness of it but it's alive but for it to be fully birthed for Jesus to come again and restore everything the pressure has to get intense enough to birth a new creation And the closer you get to the end, and I will not describe it for those of you who have not experienced it because it is intense to have a baby. But it is unto life. And it is unto restoration. And that is the hope that Jesus tells us is there in the pressure. This is unto new creation. This is unto restoration. This is unto everything being made right that isn't right right now. And so we can li- live in this tension of the pressure, of the birth pains, of the creation around us. We, as the sons of God, the Bible tells us, we are under pressure. And we are groaning in that pressure, right? and it tells us creation is groaning under the pressure and ultimately the promise is that as the sons and daughters of god come under that pressure and the earth around us and haven't we seen the earth under pressure in the last few years as those groans become together they will come into the birth of a new creation a new heaven and a new earth in jesus And so we get to live in this hope. The apostles, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, because let's be honest, they lived like Jesus lived, full of the Spirit, helped the early church live through this collision and pressure. They told people to stay true to Jesus, to stay true to his teachings, despite the challenges and persecutions around them. The church needed to understand that the kingdom of Jesus came declaring both the present reality and the fulfillment of one day reality of Jesus' coming. Jesus, when he came the first time, inaugurated. He started the kingdom of God here on earth. But only in his return will he complete it. The kingdom, therefore, and the reality they lived in and we still live in is a now and a not yet reality. The church and us, we have to learn to live in this tension. The letters to the early church when we read through them are all full of encouragement to be ready, to be on watch, to wait, to live in light of Jesus' return, to shine like stars in a twisted and corrupt world. We have to be faithful to the tension, to stay in the in-between, and not just to fall back into the kingdom of darkness. And Jesus encourages us, he says, in the last days, many, many, many people's love will grow cold. Many people's love will grow cold. It's because they couldn't hold the tension. So we have to hold this tension. Let's look at just one of these places where Jesus talked to his disciples about this. He reminded them often, there's a lot of places in the New Testament where Jesus is reminding the church that the end is not about dates and times yes. the res- restoration of all things nobody knows when that's going to happen and we can't get stuck in the dates and the times jesus said you have to live ready in the midst of the pressure Whatever's happening happening around you stay ready stay awake stay alert This is from Mark 13, 32, Um, these are the words of Jesus. Actually, if you wanna go and read this whole chapter in its context, the disciples, Jesus had just said that the whole of Jerusalem was gonna be destroyed, there was gonna be tribulation and um, suffering, and they go, when is this gonna happen? Tell us how it's gonna be so we can read it. And he goes, don't worry about that. He says, no one knows when the day or the time will be. The sun and the angels in heaven don't even know. Really interesting. Jesus doesn't even know when this day will be. Only the Father knows. Be careful. Always be ready. You don't know when that time will be. It is like a man who goes on a trip. He leaves his house and lets his servants take care of it. He gives each servant a special job to do. One servant has to work on guarding the door. The man tells the servant to always be watchful. This is what I am now telling you. You must always be ready. You don't know when the owner of the house will come back. He might come in the evening or at midnight or in the early morning or when the sun rises. He might come back quickly or he may take 2,000 years. And we're still waiting. If you are always ready, then he will not find you sleeping. I tell you this and I say this to everyone, be ready. Okay, Jesus, this is great. How do I stay ready? Right? What does it mean? Like, okay, I wake up this morning. I'm ready. I'm ready for you to come back. Okay. But how do we live ready? He gave them special jobs to do. What are these special jobs that they're supposed to be doing while they wait? Wait and be ready. So Peter, in 1 Peter 4, 7 to 11, tells us maybe a little bit about how we can be ready. Um. And actually, most of the New Testament letters talk about being ready. It's to endure with worship and praise and to stay faithful to Jesus, right? But here is something actually in 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11 that expounds a little bit more on how we can live ready. So it starts by saying, the time is near when all things will end. I love the urgency of the New Testament writers they fully believed Jesus was coming back while they were still alive. And they lived that way. Do we live fully believing that Jesus might come back while we're alive? And do we live that way? I think the further we've gotten away from it, the more we've kind of like lost that edge to our living. That this might be the last day. Right? This might be it. The time is near when all things will end. That is more true today than it was the day that Peter wrote that. Right? So, keep your minds clear and control yourselves. Then you will be able to pray. Most importantly, love each other deeply. Love has a way of not looking at others' sins Show hospitality to each other without complaining. Each of you received a spiritual gift. God has shown you his grace in giving you different gifts. And you are like servants who are responsible for using God's gifts. So be good servants and use your gifts to serve each other. Anyone who speaks should speak with the words of God. The person who serves should serve with the strength that God gives. You should do these things so that in everything God will be praised through Jesus Christ. Power and glory belong to him forever and ever. Amen. Did we lose that slide? Okay. Firstly, he said, keep your mind clear. Secondly, control yourself. Isn't that a fun thing to say? I I want to tell my kids that all the time. Here's two of them saying, control yourself. (gasps) No, just kidding. But why do you do those? So that you can pray. There's three things in this specifically that he is saying for us to do. He's saying pray, love, and show hospitality. We are called to pray. And prayer isn't just praying that the end would come, it is communion with Jesus. It is staying in that place of abiding with the Holy Spirit, with the Father, with Jesus. We are one with him. We actually get to live in the kingdom reality now through prayer. We get to experience the fullness of the presence of God with us right now in the place of prayer. And we get to intercede just like Jesus is in a resurrected body at the right hand of the Father, holding us in intercession before the Father at the throne, we get to do the same thing for the world, just like we did this morning for Turkey. We get to pray and hold the tension of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness, the now and not yet of the reality of Jesus right here in the world. We get to be present to that through prayer. We have to love each other. And the word for love here is not just the people you like or for self-serving. This is a love for the other. This is emulating. Peter was telling him, emulate Jesus, who came and gave everything for your best, who came and poured it all out to love you, to create a space for you, to make a place for you to be safe and secure. And so love ushers in the kingdom. This is not a love that lords it over others. It's a love that comes to serve and have the best for those around us. We have this little song that helps us remember love in our family. And it says, L-O-V-E, L-O-V-E, love, love, love. I want the best for you. Hoo-hoo, right? But love here in a world where everything is about loving yourself Jesus tells his followers, and Peter reminds them, love one another. Love one another. And then lastly, he says, show hospitality. And this word, hospitality, has been watered down in our current age and day. You know, hospitality is a Pinterest-perfect invitation to your friends to come and have something fun at your house, right? or the hospitality industry, it's like where you go and relax and have a good time. But hospitality here, and this actual translation of it, is for um, the love of the enemy. This is a missional hospitality. It's to create a space for someone that is different to you, that is not like you, that is maybe even your enemy, and to make a safe space for them The root word that made the words for hospital in the English language and hostile in the English language are from this word. Creating and showing hospitality is making a hospital for the sick and the hurting and the dying. It's making a safe place for the broken. And it is the space of the hostile Allow the hostile in your midst. Let the person who is the most unlike you, the most different, the person that you like the least, make a beautiful space for them. That is the church. And aren't these three words interesting because this is what we say as Nava, we are the church, a prayerful family that shows love and on mission hospitality to those around us that is what mission is guys all that mission is is hospitality welcome into the home of God (laughs) and it's a home for you if you're broken and dying and sick and it is a home for you if you are so unlike everything that I am because that is the dream of God because that is the that is the beauty of what the early church was seeing in these days They were free and slave together in the church. They were Jews and Gentiles together in the church. This was a hospitable culture, guys, but only within your own nationality. For them to have church meetings and friendships and relationships and love those that were so unlike them, to love the tax collector and to love the prostitute and to love the slave and to love the Gentile and to love those. There was a whole contingent from North Africa that was in there. Thomas went all the way to India to love on people that was like so different from him, right? They were showing hospitality to the culture around them. And they were saying, this is not just so we can all have a nice time together. This is so the kingdom of God could go forth in this world and show what the kingdom one day will look like. Every tongue, every tribe, every person before the throne as part of the family of God where we are in full enjoyment and communion with him. So all that Peter was telling them was show the earth what heaven looks like. That is how you live ready. Bring the kingdom to the now and live in it together. And then Jesus' promise to us is that that will not be easy and that there will be a lot of pressure on that. And didn't that early church experience it? Everyone, we hear the stories that early church history tells us of, man, these guys, the the disciples were beheaded and crucified and hung. I mean, James, the brother of Jesus, was pushed off the top of the temple and then clubbed to death. Guys, this is like major pressure. And we can't even live ready without any of this pressure around us. I mean, there's some, believe me, but there's not that type of pressure. But we get to live now. Bringing that kingdom in here, no matter what this kingdom does. And how did they do that? How did they live like that? Well, as the people that had walked with Jesus, who had heard the actual words of Jesus say... I'm coming back just, you'll see me coming back just as I left. Now, they thought that meant their eyes would see him coming back, but it didn't, because obviously we're still here, and they're not. As they started dying, the early church started really flagging and getting discouraged. They were being pushed to the outskirts of the, of the empire. They were being persecuted. There wasn't a, very, a lot of many, many people left. Um, but they started focusing on the second coming of Jesus as something that they could pull in to reality now yes. and I think it's really beautiful and you guys have probably heard this word that there, there is a word that the early church prayed they prayed it as a prayer and as a statement and it is the word Maranatha And Maranatha um, can mean three different things, and it's really weird because a lot of scholars argue about what it actually means and which one of these it means. Well, the reality is is it probably means all of them because they were living in the tension of the past, the present, and the future in Jesus' coming. And we know this is a prayer that they prayed because they actually used this word even when the church went into different cultures with different languages, they continued to use this Aramaic word. Just like we use a Hebrew word all the time in amen, right? Like we use that word when we pray amen. That's not one of our words. They used this prayer, Maranatha, in the same way. And Maranatha can mean our Lord has come. It's a statement, a declaration. Jesus has come. And they were living in the very real space of that. Jesus has come, Maranatha. And so they said it to each other as a statement. All of our dreams have been fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus has come, right? Then they used it as a prayer of supplication in the moment. They were faced with brokenness. And they were faced with pain. The people they loved were dying. Even the very places where they had, the people they had seen raised from the dead, then died again. The healings that they'd seen, the sin came back and overtook, and somebody actually died and the body decayed, right? Like those people that were raised, have been raised from the dead, aren't still alive. Eventually, death still has power in this world, right? And decay still comes. And so whenever they came up against the present-day reality of the brokenness of the world, they prayed, Maranatha, come, Jesus, right now into this situation and bring renewal. Bring renewal. Make something new again. And then they used it as a prayer to call forth the future of Jesus coming again, which was, oh Lord, come. It was a cry of their hearts. In the middle of something that was a world that was broken, they kept saying, oh Lord, come, we dream of the day that you come and restore everything, that you bring your presence right back into the present moment. And so this prayer of Maranatha in the Aramaic is the the prayer that they pray to hold them in the space and didn't Jesus teach us to pray this way too? The Lord's Prayer that we pray all the time. We pray, like, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven right now. Like, we pray that present moment, kingdom come. And then we also pray, save us from evil, right? Like, preserve our lives from the evil of this world that's right here. And then we say, but yours is the kingdom and the glory forever and evermore. And we proclaim the future, Right? And so in the very Lord's Prayer, we're even praying the same thing as Maranatha. We hold, and this one word holds, this past, present, and future tension together. And so this was the hope of the early church. And when John, the last disciple that was left, he's the last one left, everyone else has been killed. He's sent to this island of Patmos as a prisoner. This isn't like when we hear like, oh, John's hanging out on an island. it's like, he's not in Bermuda, you know, uh, catching a tan. He's uh, in prison on an island in isolation. And they put him there far away because they didn't want him to interact with the church anymore. They like separated him from the church. And so while he's there, John gets this vision called The Revelation. The reason why this was so significant is because it was hope for the early church of the day. We read it now and we try to figure out all its things. That's not the point of the book. The point of the book is for the people that were living under immense pressure at the time to be reminded that Jesus is coming again to restore all things and that he will do it and that they can stay faithful to him in the midst of that. And that one day, just as Jesus told his disciples, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in every nation and then the end of this present age will come. And you cannot predict the moment but you will be certain that the time is coming because it will the earth will shake with the pressure that it is under and they knew that one day they will meet Jesus again and there will be the great resurrection of the bodies the dead in Christ so if you die in Christ you will be raised in Christ again And you will be given fullness of life. And our bodies will be upgraded to an eternal body. Just like Jesus did in the first fruits. Because Jesus' victory will finally swallow up death once and for all. And mortality will be swapped for immortality. And they lived knowing that the reward of their faithfulness would be that they would get a resurrected body like Jesus and get to live with Him forever. That was the vision that John gave them, the revealing of Jesus. When everything around them was shaking and there was immense pressure, what the early church needed and what we need today is we need to see Jesus again. We need a new revelation of Jesus. We need to be reminded of what he's done in the gospel and who he is, and then we need to see him as he's coming again. We need to be called up higher. We need to be moved by the beauty of Jesus again. Not many of you people know this, but quietly in the background, Adam has been writing a book that I am very proud of, and we got the final edited copy this week, the edit copy. So Adam's been writing with his friend Alan in Ireland. They've been writing a book about the God story. And I want to read right now, as we come to a close here, the, one of the last parts of the book, because I think it's so well, do, well done. But I want to read it as a prayer for us. I want us to close our eyes and actually imagine this. This was what the early church imagined. When they read the the book of Revelation, they were not afraid. It brought them hope because they got to see Jesus again. And we need this hope. When we see Turkey and we hear these stories from Syria and we think about Ukraine and Bangladesh, where there are just people living in squalor, and we go to South Africa next week, and we are encountered by the pain and the brokenness of the world, we need a vision of Jesus again. And when we walk into our workplace, and people are just broken and in need of Jesus, we need to see Jesus again. And when our bodies suffer in pain, and when the people we love die, and when everything around us is in decay, we need to see Jesus again. And we need to bring the beauty of Jesus as best as we can in, with our lives, the kingdom breaking in right now. And we also need to hold hope that one day all of this will be restored. Everything will be restored again. So let's just close our eyes and receive these words. Revelation, in its unique style, connects the past, the present, and the future together in Jesus. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. In doing so, it's the perfect conclusion to the story of God. John brought rich images and themes of previous chapters of the God story together in a tapestry of tremendous encouragement to the early church in their context. But in the final chapters of this book, Jesus will give John a wondrous vision of the future, which will connect the church across all ages together in its glorious destiny. Revelation 21, 1 through 5. the maker of heaven and earth, who in the beginning created all that exists is going to remake everything broken by the fall. Picture him reigning and ruling supreme, joyfully declaring over creation, I am making all things new. In the end, it's all gonna be okay. I am making all things new. In the end, there will only be a new beginning. I am making all things new. All things, bodies, minds, hearts, relationships, families, cities, creation. The old order is passing away. Everything will be made new. The story which started in a garden will end in a beautiful city. Creation marred by sin will be reborn in a new heaven and a new earth. God's dream for the borders of Eden to extend throughout the world Will come to pass. The glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. He is making all things new. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more pain. Death will find its grave. The pressure will end. Tears will be dried up. Sorrow will be no more. Sickness will be eliminated. Injustice will end. Satan will be completely vanquished. Heaven will be married to earth. He is making all things new. The seed of promised blessing for all generation given to Abraham will flower into bloom. Every tribe, every tongue will join in a glorious worship as one multicultural family of self-giving love. A bride of all ethnic peoples will be prepared for their bridegroom king. The lamb at the center of the throne will receive the reward of his suffering. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will shout, Jesus is king. To the glory of God the Father. God will dwell with humanity and we will reign with him. I am making all things new. The final words of Revelation close on this theme of love's eternal longing. A great wedding is going to take place. Revelation 22:17. 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. These words stretch across 2,000 years of church history. God in us, crying out to God beyond us. The Spirit knits us together with praise of the saints across the ages. We pray with them all. Like thousands who have gone before us, we cry out to the bridegroom to come again, to Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. John's vision leaves us with so many questions about new creation but he leaves them unanswered intentionally because his goal wasn't to satisfy our curiosity about a new world and the end of this one, but to instill in us confidence that the creation will be reborn, that Jesus is resurrected from the dead and he is coming again. This is the hope of the story of the Bible. God's domain and our domain will one day be completely united. All things will be made new. Death will be replaced with life. The whole earth will be a recreation of the garden and the glory of God will cover it. Every nation will be blessed through the power of the resurrected Jesus and God's presence will be with us. So we wait. We wait patiently, knowing that God is orchestrating all of humanity towards that glorious end at the feet of Jesus. And we wait purposefully, we pray, we love, we show hospitality, and we join with God's redemptive mission to bring renewal now and make disciples of all people. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six 26 that as often as we eat from this bread and drink from this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he's coming again. Jesus promised us that one day he will take this meal with us in glory. And so as we take communion together, we pray Maranatha. Jesus has come. Jesus come now. Jesus is coming again to restore all things. I'd like to, um, as we take communion now together, but I'd like to encourage you this week, the early church did a practice when they prayed, which I think is really beautiful, so that they faced East. When they pray Maranatha, East is in that direction, if you're wondering, in this room. But the reason they did that is because, like the start of a new day, it starts in darkness, doesn't it? Midnight is dark, the sun hasn't risen yet, but it is a new day. And we pray facing East, believing that Jesus is coming again. And that we will see the fullness of that coming. And so we pray, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, facing east. The Garden of Eden was also in the east. And so we're praying for the return of paradise, for the fullness of the kingdom of God to come now in our midst. And as we take communion today, I'd love for us to just take it together as the church of God, praying Maranatha. And I want us to say to each other, this is where I want Jesus his resurrection power right now in my life. We can have his coming now as much as we can have it then. Yes, the fullness then. But let's pray. Where are we praying Maranatha right now in our midst? Where are we believing? Like we're believing Maranatha. Jesus, come to the people in Turkey and Syria, right? We we're praying Maranatha, come. Where in our lives right now are we praying? Jesus, come. Fill this place right now with your power, your reign and rule, and knowing that one day we will see that in its fullness. So if you want to just get into little groups, grab some bread and communion. We're going to take communion together. Um, just for those that are gluten-free, this little, these little crackers are gluten-free. Whoa, almost spilt all of that. Um, all right, so Holy Spirit... Thank you that you testify to our spirits that we are loved. Thank you that you groan inside of us the very prayers of God, waiting for our sonship and daughtership to be revealed. Thank you, creation around us, even though it's groaning, it's waiting patiently for the revealing of God in this earth. And so we stand together as Nava today. And as we partake of this beautiful gift that you gave us, of your first coming, your brokenness poured out for us, the gospel in our very hands and in our very mouth, we remember that this is not the end of the story. Yes. That the tension and the pressure we live in today is not the end of the story. That the story is on a throne-rich trajectory. Straight to the feet of Jesus. And one day we will see this all restored. Be that in our lifetime or in a thousand years, we live for that day, ready, waiting, patiently working, exalting you, Jesus, now.